0: All right. Well, I know generally what I like to do after eating a big plate of turkey and potatoes covered in gravy is listen to somebody talk for a while. So, if you uh, if your head finds the table, I'll just assume that you are praying for me, and I'll I'll appreciate <laughs> I'll, I'll appreciate that. Um, so yes, as as Owen shared last time I was I was here, uh, we got a chance to open up. Psalm uh, 119 and and obviously couldn't cover all of it, and so we just gave it a a flyby um, of some some observations, some some interpretation. And so, what I want to do um, tonight is give us some application. What do we do with the information that we um, that we talked about? So, just to review, um, we we learned a lot about this author. We kind of kind of keyed in our what are some attributes of this. Author that maybe we aspire to, that, that we admire. Not, not in an idolatrous way, obviously understanding that, that he's just a man, but um, kind of in a, in a Paul sense of follow my example as, as I follow the example of, of Christ. And we, we saw several important things. We saw um, that he cherished the word, that it was central to the way that he lives and the way that, that he thinks. Um, and we saw that he cherishes it because. He knows that God is, is both the source and the subject of the Word. Um, he doesn't use it as, as a textbook, so he can simply grow in intellectual knowledge. He also didn't use it um, as for some selfish, emotional benefit. Um, he cares most about the Word because it tells him who God is, and that being the most important thing. Uh, we, we saw that he was not content where he was, even though he obviously displayed a great level of maturity and spiritual growth, he saw that he still needed God. He still needed to grow uh, even more. And then uh, we saw that he didn't just read the Word, but he keeps it. He does, he does what it says. He understands that you can't separate the idea of understanding it and doing what it says, that those two things must go together. And then lastly, we saw that he cherished the Word because he wanted others to know God. He wanted others to follow um, and he, he cannot tell others about who God is if he himself does not know. That's a tall order. That that is that is quite a description for uh, any Christian. And and reading that is is kind of intimidating. It's you know it's like uh, one time I saw John Piper giving an interview, um, and somebody somebody used ESPN as an example, and he claims that he didn't know what ESPN was. Uh, because he never watches TV, he's he's too busy praying. Like it's that level of intimidation that we that we read here, and and, and we begin to kind of get overwhelmed. Like I could never be at this point. I'm I'm never going to be like this guy. I'm never going to feel the way that that I would take the time to write this this massive acrostic poem just to describe how I feel about the Bible. But but to be overwhelmed by by that feeling would would be a mistake. It would. It would actually uh, be the exact opposite of what this passage is supposed to do. What it is intending to do is show us, encourage us, light a fire in us that we might learn to love God and His Word as much and even more as this man does that we see here. He gives us a sample of what it means to desire a, a growth like that. In verse 33, he says, Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. So there are statements, in, even, even in this passage, that they're not, they're not all true about us. But, but we can have the desire for them. We have the desire to grow in that. And hopefully, that desire spurs us into action to change the way we are into the way that God has designed us to be, or, or more importantly, allowing God to change us to be as he wants us to be. And so tonight, that draws the question of how. Okay, how do we do that? How do we obtain, how do we grow so that we can appreciate the word uh, in this way? More than once in the, uh, in the midst of maybe a more in-depth study with a, with a group of people, I, I hear the phrase, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know how to walk through Scripture like this. I don't know how to draw these things uh, out of Scripture. Um, for some of us, maybe, we, maybe we're in Scripture. Like we have a routine of Scripture, but um, we find ourselves not walking away with anything. That If you were to ask us at lunch what we read that morning, we would, we would struggle to come up with something. And so, so I want us tonight to consider a few thoughts of, of application about how we can do this. Um, we'll talk about ideas, both practical and foundational, and, and this is certainly not an exhaustive list, uh, but it's things that I, hope are, that I hope are beneficial. The first one being that as you approach the Word, as you approach your time and devotion, quiet time, whatever you may, you may call it, that you remember that you are reading and studying first and foremost to personally know God. Verse 151 says, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are are true he draws a connection between understanding god's connection and feeling a closeness to him understanding that he is near and i mentioned this last time so i'll try not to overdo it but this is such a vitally important part of our approach to the word that when you sit down and you open at the table you open up the bible you must be asking yourself what does this tell me about god that, that you're not reading, like I said, just for intellectual growth or to benefit yourself, but there is a person known as God, and you want to know who he is. The Bible is not just a list of, of acceptable ways to live and, and to be successful. It is a description of an infinitely powerful being who is worth knowing. And to be a Christian is to say, I want to know him. That's, that's When we say we're Christians, that's what we are, we are claiming. All the other things how to live, how to treat people, what, what to do, how to respond, those, those things will come. They, they will fall into place, uh, but only once we have set knowledge and, and, of course, therefore love of God as our priority. So we should be treating our quiet time like a, like a conversation with a friend, right? It, it's fun to get to know someone as you, as you sit down and, and you ask questions and you begin to put together, okay, who is this person that is, that is across from me? Well, how fun is it to get to know the God of the Bible, to learn more and more? Every time we sit down with him, we learn more and more about who he is. That we have this large book that accounts and describes and gives clues to, to who he is, to his, his characteristics, uh, his mannerisms, the way, that he, the way that he thinks, the way that he loves. And because he's infinite, there's, there's always more to be learned of him. That we can sit down and we can read a story that we have read a hundred times before and walk away with something that we, we didn't realize about God before. Or, or even just to have something we knew to be true refreshed. Refreshed in our hearts, giving us the encouragement that it can. And, and so remembering uh, how to do that, I want us to walk through an example. If you want to flip over to John chapter 2. We're just going to do an example of uh, what this might look like, how, how this might work in your own uh, time. And, and for that example, I want to uh, use really what is one of the easiest places in Scripture to learn about God. Um, sometimes this is an easier, more obvious task than others, um, and, and that being in the Gospels. That when we hear stories of Jesus, uh, we are getting a very clear picture of what, what God is like. Because He's in situations that you and I would be in. And so when we wonder, I wonder how, you know, how God would handle this, we, we get to see, we get to find out. Um, and so with that in mind, I'm just going to look at, have us look at two brief stories um, from John and that show Jesus and, and therefore God responding to experiences in his life and what that says about who he is. And, and hopefully that will give us some ideas as to how we can, we can do that on our own. So in, in John 2, verse 13, we, we, just, we just read that in our, in our devotion, our quiet time, and we step back and we look at the story, and the first question we ask is, what can I learn about God? And, and there are several important things to see, and we won't, we won't cover them all, but um, the primary one being His holiness, that, that God is perfect and pure and holy, and He cannot tolerate impurity, that these people had brought their greed and their sinfulness into He and His Father's house and he had no choice but to remove it not not just with his words but with his actions right if you and i were to go into a, a church and we saw something or we we heard something from the pastor that we disagreed with we would we would probably you know maybe leave at the end of the service at, at most you know we might get up in the middle and leave if it was so egregious uh, that we felt like leaving that's that's not enough for jesus here He literally makes a whip from what he can find around him and he kicks them out. That says something about who he is, how zealous he is for the glory of God. That tells us how important holiness is to him, that it would elicit that kind of reaction from Christ. And then another story where we can learn about God through Christ, and these will come together, is, is the woman at the well. This happens in John 4, just a couple couple chapters later and I'll I'll summarize for us but basically um, Jesus is passing through Samaria and he encounters uh, a woman who is drawing water from the well he asks her for a a drink of water which is um, already a kind of an uncommon uh, interaction to happen Um, it's not something a Jewish man would usually do and then he he again gives her the message of the gospel tells her that, that he is the source of water that will quench her thirst forever, her spiritual thirst. And then he, and then he calls her out on her sin, primarily uh, sexual immorality, in, in a specific way that, that no one who didn't know her or know her situation could have known. And then he, he concludes by confirming that he is the Messiah. He is the one that she has heard about. And so again, we do, the, we do the same thing. We back up with, with fresh eyes and we, we want to see truth about God. And we see several here. One being his omniscience. There's, there's certainly no way that he could have known that, that she had been married uh, five different times before, that she was living with someone who was not her husband, unless he was an all-knowing God. We also see that he was inclusive of, of anyone who would come to know him. Right? Culturally, this conversation should not have happened. Jew to Samaritan, man to woman, uh, certainly someone who's uh, living in immorality. He could have easily passed her by by any one of those things, but he doesn't. He gives her the opportunity to to respond to the message and the good news that he brings. And then maybe most obviously we see that he's merciful. As he mentions her sin, he he doesn't yell at her. He doesn't condemn her to death right there, which he certainly had the right to do. He shared with her the source of repentance and mercy. He had mercy on her in spite of her sin. And notice that merciful doesn't necessarily mean that he ignored her sin. He he brought it up. But he didn't smother her with guilt and shame. He showed her how to be free of it. So, in these two stories, we read these two and we learn these things about God. And, and not only do we learn them individually, we see that they exist together. Right? We see how the attributes of God live in perfect harmony with one another. We see Him, in, in one hand, driving out the merchants uh, because of His justness and because of His purity and holiness. And at the same time, we see Him showing mercy. And so what we learn about God is that both of those things come together in who God is that's plenty to think about and to meditate on and that was just a that was just a real brief read through of those stories we can see that because we approach the word in a way to learn more about who God is we could have walked away with other thoughts right we could have walked away with well I shouldn't make church about me don't sell stuff in the church. Don't be sexually immoral. And, and those are all true and all beneficial truths to pull out of that. But what we really want is that we can only know to be obedient in those areas if we first know who God is. And that is what drives our obedience. And so that, that, that's the first thing is remember always that we are, we are studying the word because we want to know who God is personally. The second thing I want us to talk about is is recognizing that there will be traps in any pursuit of the lord there will be resistance there will be uh, things whether external or internal natural or supernatural there will be things that keep you from learning and growing more in the love of god verse 110 the wicked have laid a snare for me but i do not stray from your precepts verse 150 they draw near me who persecute Excuse me, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. Verse 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. So, so here, obviously, the author is mostly talking about external persecution, uh, things that might draw him to fail in his efforts. I like that he uses the word uh, snare in verse 110 because this implies something that you might not notice. It's, it's something that might be kind of sneaky in its approach, and it's not something that's going to be overwhelmingly obvious. See, we need to see and understand that we are absolutely prone to snares, both those that, that come from the enemy and, and those that come from ourselves. And we don't always know it. If, if, if we're sitting here tonight thinking, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't come across a lot of snares, I would, I would encourage you to challenge yourself. Maybe, maybe you're in one now and, and don't even know it. If we are are living in ignorance of their existence, we can we can so easily slide into their traps, right? Because they're easy, they're comfortable, they they feel good. They make us feel like we are we are okay. And so I, I want to share just a couple a uh, couple of examples of what what these traps might look like. There are certainly more, um, but so that we can evaluate ourselves, see if we are being taken by them already, or, or certainly be a, prepared to recognize them in the future and these are these are things that if you read if you read books about this idea of of things that can uh, that can draw you away from understanding the word these will these will pop up over and over and they're they're called and labeled different things i pulled this uh, from a particular study that i have i have used before but they'll be called different things Uh, but the the first one the first potential trap in, in knowing the word is trusting in something called knowledge by hearsay Right in this, you have the idea that you you think you have knowledge of the Bible. You you feel like you know certain truths. In fact, you can even have conversations with people um, about him and, and about the word. But the issue becomes when you consider the source of your knowledge. It's not from reading the Bible yourself. It's it's simply repeating what you have heard others say about it. You, your understanding is is limited by what others have told you in sermons, in, in Christian books, and articles, uh, even, even in movies, right? All of these things can be helpful in understanding the Word, but only if they are supplements to your own personal interaction with the Bible, right? Going back to that idea of a relationship that we hope to have, do we want to know God by hearsay, or do we want to know Him personally, ourselves, if it's personally, we, we can't rely only on others to tell us about Him. We need to pursue the Word, what He says about Himself. Another potential pitfall is known as textualism. This is the idea that, that because you affirm something as, as true in the Bible, uh, then that means you have claimed it in your own life as, as truth to live by. For example, this person might fully believe in, and defend passages in Scripture about enduring persecution, and they assume that because they know it to be God's word, then they are accurately living it out. But we know there's a difference between knowing it and, and doing it and accepting it. This, this would be the person who reads verse 9. says, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Because they believe it to be inspired God's word, then they think they can be counted as this this being true about themselves that they are guarding their way according to god's word like it says and this one is particularly dangerous because it's really difficult to recognize that when we read things in scripture we must not only ask is this true but also am i living it out am i taking it in as as my own and true of me if i know god to be holy because the bible tells me so am I also interacting with him as one who is holy? So it's, so it's taking that next step, not just, not just saying it's true and that being good enough, but, but owning those passages. And then the last example I'll give us um, is being caught up in the idea of, of true truths. This is the issue that, that arises um, when, when we have what feels like over-familiarity with the, with the Bible, that we have heard a truth so many times that it is truly lost all value in, in our minds and in our hearts. All right, well the, the best example that, that I can think of is, is that of God's omnipresence. So for me to say that in here is probably not difficult for, for most of us. We, we know that to be true. We've heard that God is omnipresent, but how often does that affect and influence your daily life? Because it's such a, this is a big truth, that He is everywhere. He is always with us. He is omnipresent and yet, does it impact us? Do we, do we live as such? Or have we filed that truth away only to be brought out at certain times? Right? That is something that is big enough, important enough, that it should affect us daily. We should think as if God is always with us, that he is everywhere and he is that, that powerful. A.W. Tozer says of, of this idea of true truths, he says, he says, take those ideas, take them out of the back room of your mind, dust them off, Reacquaint yourself with those truths and live on them. Again, this is a recurring theme of, of the truths leading us into action, changing the way that we live. Edward Payson says, in a little bit harsher way, he says, if there is one fact or doctrine or promise in the Bible which has produced no practical effect upon your temper or your conduct, be assured that you do not truly believe it. So when we learn about God, the evidence that we have ever truly grown in our understanding is its practical effect on our lives that we live in light of that truth and I, I spoke about this last time that we see in our author he knew the word because he didn't just read it he kept it and so as we as we continue on and we we consider that there are um, there are potential traps we, we also must understand and consider our methods here I'm speaking of, of the practical means by which we, we study the Word, Okay, the logistics, what we, what we do when we sit down with the Word. And, and this is certainly an area we, we could have spent all night or several nights um, on, on this issue. Um, but I just want to point out a few, few things that, are, that I think are helpful. Um, they're, not, they're not necessarily biblical mandates, but they're things that I think might be uh, helpful and beneficial to us. First thing, remember that the Bible is what you are studying. We've, we've already touched on this a little bit, so I won't go too far, but, but what I'm saying is here, be careful of using and relying on resources more than the Word itself. Now, use them. Please use them. They're, they're great and they're helpful, and we live in a, in a time when they are readily available to us, but remember that they are not the Word. A group of us did a, did a Ken Ham study recently on Sunday nights and he, he brought up study Bibles at one point and I thought he, he had a pretty important quote about them. He said, study Bibles are helpful as long as you remember that it is the words at the top that are actually a commentary on the words on the bottom. And I thought that's, that's true. Don't, don't let what you're reading outside of the Bible direct the way that you read the Bible. Let, let the words in Scripture direct the way that you interpret everything else. Let them drive the understanding, not just the notes or the books. Uh, the second thing um, is, is know the kind of writing that you're reading. Know, know what you're reading. Know how the book is written uh, to some extent. In, in Scripture, there are, there are tons of, of categories of, of literature. Um, obviously, we know of the big ones, right? We know the law, the history, the, the wisdom, uh, but, but there are even more, right? There's, there's poetry that makes its way in and out of all of those categories. Uh, there are sermons, there are genealogies, there are lists, um, some things that, are, that seem to be written um, with emotion, some things that are just recording a fact. Um, and, and we would be uh, unwise to approach and, and read them all the same because they, they don't all communicate the same thing in the same way. Uh, for example, Proverbs is the, the easiest example, and you could have drawn this from many of places in Proverbs, I picked chapter one. Um, verse 33 is, is the last verse in a chapter that is giving advice about pursuing wisdom, and then it gives this conclusion. It says, But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So the, the question is, you read something like that is, that, is that always true? Is that true in every single scenario? No, it's not always true. That, that there are those who do pursue wisdom and find themselves in disaster or, or find themselves in seasons of anxiety. It's not, it's not always perfectly true. Was this, is this passage lying? No, because it is generally true that what we're reading is proverbial wisdom. It is something that is, that is generally true and can be trusted and pursued, um, but, but we can't look back at it and say, well, it's lying because it didn't work out exactly like Proverbs said that it would, right? And, and that's different from like a, a specific promise that, that Christ gives us about his return. That we know is gonna happen every time. There is no scenario where that doesn't happen. And so it's just important to know what you're reading. Take, take note, take stock if you're reading a poem versus a, a narrative. It's helpful. Thirdly, I would suggest that you read one book at a time. Uh, and, and what I'm talking about here is, your, is your, you know, your quiet time your daily time in the word again this is not you don't have to there's no I can't point to chapter and verse on this um, but if you, if you struggle to like for example in the, in the uh, example I gave earlier about John like you wouldn't have the opportunity to see the mercy he showed and combine that with the, uh, with the anger that you saw in John chapter 2 if you didn't keep reading that book it, it's really difficult to get a solid understanding of what an author is trying to convey if you're, if you're just hopping you know, from a couple of verses to a couple of verses. And there's, there's a time and a place for that. But I would say, in general, it's helpful to, to stay in one book. Consider each truth in light of the truth that came before it. Um, seeing, seeing things like God's uh, different characteristics coexisting. Um, and so I would encourage you, pick, pick a book and, and camp there for a season. Uh, fourth, I would encourage you that, you that you change up your methods, that you do not always study Scripture the exact same way. Um, obviously, that, that's helpful in the sense of it just gives, naturally gives variety, um, but it also proves beneficial to having a, a greater understanding of the Word. That some days we should sit and study small passages very closely and in great depth. Uh, that, that's an incredibly helpful exercise. Um, back in October, Owen, Owen gave us the, the four questions that I mentioned last time. Uh, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about people? What does this teach us about the relationship between God and people? And, and then how do I respond with my head, my heart, and my hands? Um, you know, there, there, there are dozens of other things exercises similar to that Um, if you want to see that one it's still in the October 1st bulletin it's still online and you can see Owen gave us an example of how to walk through Joshua 2 with that structure and and with that you can easily spend 30 minutes to to an hour on just a couple of verses and that's a great way to study (coughs) excuse me Uh, but but I would um, I would remind you to to consider that it's not always beneficial to to read only in that way that when, when an author writes uh, a letter, for example, they're, they're meant to be read all at the same time in, in one sitting or, or close to it. Remember that those those books carry central themes, and, and if you're not reading them in, in quick succession, you, you may not catch them. You may not understand how one verse relates to another. Um, and, and so sometimes it's helpful just Put away the study Bible. Put away the commentaries and, and the journal and just read. Just get lost in the world that that book is describing. Sometimes it's, it's so difficult to remember uh, something at the end of the book that was at the beginning of the book because you read it three months ago. If you're, you know, if you're moving slow enough. I had a friend who uh, recently took on a, a fairly impressive undertaking in that he, he read the Bible in a month. And so essentially he read, uh, what is, you know, 40 chapters a day or whatever, you know, whatever it comes out to. And sometimes it took him an hour, sometimes it took him four hours, but he finished it in 30 days. And when I was talking to him about it afterwards, he said uh, by far one of the most beneficial things was that you could, he could be reading a fulfillment of a prophecy that he had read a couple days ago. Or, or certainly he could, he could more easily see themes in books because he read them all at once and he could see the progression of of paul's letters and how one is emphasizing one thing versus another because he had read them quickly now that's certainly an extreme i'm not suggesting you have to you have to read at that pace we don't all have four hours a day um but can but consider the value of just just reading just getting lost in the word Uh, and there are there are other methods those aren't the only two but just consider changing things from time to time don't only always look at the word from one angle, but consider other ways to get all the benefits out of a passage. And so that, that brings me to the uh, conclusion. The, the last thing I, I want to share and something to draw our attention to is to accept that this will be a long and difficult process. When we, when we prepare to do something, a project around the house um, or, or something, something out, outside, what always happens? It always takes longer than you think, and it always requires two screws more than you have, right? <laughs> Everybody knows this to be true. The, the last-minute runs to Home Depot happen almost every single time, right? And, and the frustration is not, not necessarily that it took that long or that it, it took that much in materials, right? The frustration is that you weren't prepared for it. You weren't ready ahead of time. You didn't allot enough time. You had to make an extra trip to the store. And so consider this, our warning, if we desire to make a renewed attempt at knowing the Word and knowing the God of the Bible, it will not be easy. It will take more time than we think. It will take more effort than we think. We live in a world that that seeks to find shortcuts for everything right we have inventions for everything the number of times that i've been doing something i don't like doing and i think it is 2017 like how have they not invented something like this um you will you will either love me or hate me for this next statement but our christmas lights are up and they were up last week so everybody has their opinions right Um, so I, i was putting up our lights and and as i'm crawling around the roof um, which is just a scary place for a big guy. Uh, I'm going up and down the ladder. Um, I, I couldn't stop but think, when are they going to invent that thing from the Grinch movie that looks like a machine gun and it just shoots, right? It shoots Christmas lights up on the house and you're done, right? That's, that's the way we think. We, we want the shortcut. We want something that makes it to the end. That shortcut doesn't exist for knowing God, and it, and it won't. We have, we have lots of tools. We have lots of resources that help us, and we should use them. But we, but we need to be careful uh, that we, we are prepared for the time it will take, that we, don't get, um, that we don't get frustrated when we're six months into it and we're still struggling. We're, we're still wrestling with getting in the Word every day. We need to understand that, it, that it's going to take discipline. It's going to take perseverance, hard work, sacrifice. It will require us to give up things that we love. You, you cannot have the things of the world and the things of God. It does not work that way. And like I said two weeks ago, if, if the word is important to you, you don't, you don't make time for it. It has your time. You make time for other things. So prepare yourself. Ask what, and, and not if, but what am I going to have to give up to know the Lord? Is it, is it a hobby? Is it a, is it a sport? I have to admit on myself is it sleep I was I was watching a biographical video the other day on on Samuel Rutherford a Scottish pastor and it was said that he got up at three or four every day to ensure that he had enough time in the word I I didn't know that was legal Um, (laughs) but he he did it he gave up sleep because he knew that it was worth it he knew it's worth and that's the thought I want to leave you with tonight not not one of discouragement uh, in looking at the pain and the effort that it's going to take to be faithful and knowing God, but to be encouraged that it is so worth it, that what you get in exchange for that cost is, is beyond description. It's so, uh, what you get in exchange is so great that, that this guy spent who knows how much time writing out 176 verses in, in this meticulously structured poem just to describe how he feels about the bible so ask yourself will you determine to know him no matter the cost isaac ambrose gives a gives us an answer to that question that should be at your the bottom of your handout it says don't stop short because of the cost whether pains or study tears or prayers peace or wealth goods or reputation life or liberty Sell them all for this pearl. Christ is so valuable that you could never overbuy him, though you gave yourself and all the world for him. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. We are so grateful that you have been merciful enough that you would give us the opportunity to know you in the studying of, of your word. I pray that we would not leave here without a desire to grow, with, without a fire lit in us, that it is worth it to know you, that it is worth every cost and every sacrifice that we could make. I pray that you would give us the, the wisdom to pursue the, the situations and the, and the possibilities, the opportunities that we have to know you, that we would use every resource to point back to you. I pray that we would, as a family, we would encourage one another in this pursuit, that we would challenge one another, we would hold one another accountable in ways that spur us on towards the things that your word commands, love and good deeds. God, I pray that you would uh, remove those distractions, make us aware of those traps and those difficulties that might come at us, and we would sidestep them so that we might have a clearer picture of who you are. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, what he has done for us on the cross. It's in his name we pray, amen.